2: Good morning, I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. When Russia first invaded Ukraine, their much larger military expected fighting would be brief, that they would conquer Ukraine within weeks. Of course, that didn't happen. Instead, Ukrainian forces have fought back fiercely, even launching a successful counterattack this past week, forcing the Russians to retreat, which raises a troubling question. How far might a desperate Vladimir Putin be willing to go? Could the nuclear option actually be on the table? That looming threat has led some to seek refuge in a relic of the Cold War. Roxana Saberi explains why what's old is new again.
3: Back in the 1950s and 60s, the world was trying to figure out what to do and where to go in the event of catastrophe.
4: Well, Sir Ruth and I certainly can live in here very comfortably for at least two weeks.
3: Now it seems some of us are going back to the future. 100 feet underground in the English countryside. Cold War bunkers like this are suddenly getting a lot of attention, both here and in the United States, ahead on Sunday Morning.
2: Boy Meets Girl, it's an age-old storyline in romantic comedies. But what happens when boy meets boy? Jonathan Vigliotti speaks with actor and comedian Billy Eichner about his pioneering new movie.
1: We can go out. Are you asking me out? I'm down for whatever. Yeah, same. Cool.
5: Comedian and actor Billy Eichner has co-written and stars in a major Hollywood rom-com featuring two gay male leads. Why do you think it's taken this long for a movie like this, two gay men in a romantic comedy finally being on the
1: big screen? The real answer to that is that the world, including Hollywood, has been very homophobic.
5: Billy Eichner makes some movie history ahead on Sunday Morning.
2: Tracy Smith puts on her running shoes this morning and takes us along for a look at a new season of The Amazing Race.
6: You're about to embark on a race around the world. After 21 years, a hundred countries, and a million plus miles, the amazing race is still the ultimate endurance test.
1: Typically, you shoot 12 shows in 21 days. I lose, on average, 10 to 12 pounds every season.
6: And taking part means saying goodbye to your home, your family, (laughs) and sometimes
2: your dignity. Later on Sunday morning, a truly amazing race. Mark Phillips and Seth Doane have the latest on Queen Elizabeth's funeral and what's ahead from Britain's King Charles. Serena Altschul takes us inside the pages of Better Homes and Gardens on the magazine's 100th anniversary. Plus, a story from Steve Hartman, opinion from author Rachel Aviv, and more this Sunday morning for September 18th, 2022. We'll be back after this. At the height of the Cold War, President Kennedy famously called for a fallout shelter for everyone. Thousands were built. Thankfully, none were ever used for their intended purpose. But now, Roxana Saberi tells us, bomb shelters are back.
4: He did what we all must learn to do. You and you and you and you. and you. and you. (laughs) and cover.
3: They now seem quaint, even absurd.
4: You duck and cover tight against the wall.
3: Public service films from the 1950s and 60s, teaching children how to protect themselves from a nuclear blast. And showing families that they too can build a cozy bunker of their very own.
4: Ruth and I certainly can live in here very comfortably for at least two weeks.
3: But as the Cold War thawed, bunker mania faded. That is, until recently. With the tide of war in Ukraine turning against Russia, the threat of a desperate Vladimir Putin resorting to nuclear weapons to win at all costs is no longer so far-fetched.
7: Our counterstrike will be instantaneous.
8: Every time uh, Putin talks about a nuclear weapon, uh, the phone rings off the hood. I bet it made the phone ring probably four or
3: 500%. At DEFCON Underground Bunkers near Kansas City, Missouri.
1: This is kind of your kitchen area.
3: Co-owners Ryan Ola and Corey Hubbard say around a third of those inquiries have turned into sales.
1: It's everyday average people.
8: I mean, it's, it's from people that could barely afford it to people that have plenty of money. And it's not just a doomsday prepper scenario. Some of them are very concerned. They want something right now. They're afraid something's going to happen.
3: They're expecting, like, Amazon Prime service or something. Exactly, yes. Across the United States and Europe, other manufacturers told us they've never seen such high demand, despite the high prices. They say pretty much whatever you can imagine, and pay for, they can build. At DEF CON, shelters start at $75,000. How safe is a bunker like the one you're standing in?
8: For all of us in the business, it comes down to engineering. It's not like we can test these things.
3: (laughs) And the federal government provides only guidelines, not regulations, for building underground bunkers. So it's up to buyers to do their homework.
4: The need for this kind of protection is new to our shores. But the time to start is now.
3: Back in 1961, President John F. Kennedy asked Congress to designate and stock public fallout shelters. Today, most are abandoned
9: that's partly because if the worst does happen there's no guarantee they'd work the most significant thing the blast size of nuclear weapons which are enormous even the smallest nuclear weapon is you know 10 times the size of the largest conventional weapon
3: patricia lewis is a security expert at the london based chatham house think tank and a former un disarmament research director you get
9: instant radiation you get heat fires huge winds so a large part of the city or the area in which uh, was targeted would be uninhabitable. That's why, she warns, not every shelter will save you. Unless it was highly reinforced and people could stay in there, down there for a long, long time. But think about what you would encounter afterwards. I think that's, that's the thing. This is why the prevention of nuclear war is by far the most sensible way forward.
3: In Britain, most of the Cold War relics have also been sealed up or sold off. Some even transformed into a wine cellar, a cafe, and a museum like this one, hidden under a hill just
4: outside London. And once they're shut, you would be in here for uh, your three months or six months or however long it took you.
3: And everybody else? Outside. Now owned by Mike Parrish, this shelter was built in 1952 to keep 600 civil and military personnel safe in control
4: so we can switch one on and...
3: and in communication if the soviets attacked as imagined in this staged announcement
4: united kingdom was heavily attacked with nuclear weapons
3: but lately people are seeing this museum in a whole new light
4: and we've had uh, about 20 inquiries uh, so far from people who want to come
3: so for the right price you would offer space to somebody rent the, to rent this Certainly. out. For Mike Parrish, though, family comes first, and it's serious business. If there is a nuclear incident, what do you plan to do?
4: Well, I plan to lock the doors with me inside.
3: You and your family?
4: Me and my family. It's like a wedding list.
3: Okay. Do you have a list? Have you written it out? You're not sharing.
4: <laughs> not sharing, no.
3: Then, there are countries like Finland that have never let their guard down.
4: About 20 meters.
3: Shelters are practically everywhere, some doubling as pools or playgrounds. And in Switzerland, a country of roughly eight and a half million people. Entrance. Please. There's room for around nine million to shelter.
10: The idea is to have uh,
4: 50 people each rooms. How many rooms are there? (laughs) Many. Come, please.
3: Fourth room for 200 people so far. Uh, yes.
4: Let's continue. Okay.
3: Engineer Cédric Villumier says these days, residents are on edge.
4: Uh, some people are afraid, really afraid. They write us. Uh, they want to be sure that the shelter are prepared.
3: You're getting more inquiries than before. Exactly. Here, by law, everyone has to have access to one in their community or, like François Zerkinden, in their basements.
7: Okay, and this is now the glass door. We can open it.
3: Oh, that's a thick door.
7: Yes, very thick.
3: So this is it?
7: Yes, it is. It's not very
10: big.
3: How many people can sleep? Twelve
7: persons, four or
3: less. You also have a lot of wine stocked. Yes,
4: wine. We have also a little bit of water, enough for a few days. Jam. Jam.
3: In the meantime, back at DEF CON, the orders keep coming. What would you say to somebody who says, you guys are making money off of people's fears?
8: We tell people this, you buy car insurance, you buy homeowners insurance, we're just offering a different type of insurance.
3: Hopefully your products will never be tested. I I hope hope so. so. That's what
8: we say, it's a lack of insurance policy, we hope you'll never have to use.
2: President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden arrived in London last night to join scores of world leaders for Monday's history-making events. It's been a week of ceremony and ritual for Queen Elizabeth II as the United Kingdom prepares for her funeral tomorrow at Westminster Abbey. Mark Phillips has the latest on Charles III as he prepares to say goodbye to his mother and make his mark as king. But first, Seth Doan reports on A Nation in Mourning.
10: Grandchildren, both princes, honoring their grandmother, the queen. This vigil yesterday yet again mixed grand spectacle and personal
4: grief. The reputation of Britain is is a nation of stiff upper lips. I think with the Queen's death, we've shown that we've got a wobbly lower one as well.
10: John Sopel was a longtime anchor with the BBC. We met not far from where Queen Elizabeth II has been lying in state at Westminster Hall ahead of tomorrow's funeral.
4: It's going to be a grand occasion, the likes of which we have not seen in this country since Winston Churchill's uh, funeral in 1965. That
10: was the last state funeral here. The UK has not buried its sovereign since the Queen's father, King George VI, in 1952. The plans for this were incredibly detailed, called the Operation London London Bridge. Bridge.
4: And the operation has swung into gear.
10: Planning took decades, with consideration of every detail altering flight schedules to ensure quiet, or making sure bouquets included clippings from the Queen's properties. The imperial state crown was on display in Wednesday's precisely timed procession atop a coffin fashioned from oak from a royal
4: estate. The pageantry is quite incredible. And when I see that pageantry, there is a little part of me that feels this immense pride in this nation and the rich history And I have to be honest, there's a little part of me that thinks, who knew there were so many costumes sitting in a wardrobe somewhere, waiting to be brought out on this occasion?
10: These images can be interpreted in different ways, says Pauline McLaren.
4: And that's the double-edged sword of reinforcing
11: the tradition through their pomp and pageantry and, and rituals, if you like, because for many people it is a reminder of Britain's imperial past.
10: Over afternoon tea, the University of London marketing professor noted while early polls have been positive for the royals, this may be a honeymoon period.
11: We need to separate the support for the Queen from the support of the monarchy. I come from Northern Ireland, so the monarchy has always been more problematic there.
10: This past week, the King travelled to Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales, countries making up the not always united Kingdom. A 2014 independence referendum in Scotland was narrowly
4: defeated. What you could end up with is Great Britain, as it's sometimes called, not looking so great when we've lost Scotland and we've lost Northern Ireland and you're just left with a rump, England and Wales. And you think that's more of a possibility now with the
10: King Charles than it was with the Queen Elizabeth?
4: Yes, because I think that the Queen acted as this amazing viscous glue that bound these separate parts of the United Kingdom together.
10: Today's mass mourning reminded John Sopel of a description of Churchill's funeral when it seemed London had two rivers, the Thames and the Sea of People, paying tribute. The funeral here tomorrow at Westminster Abbey is expected to be the biggest gathering of dignitaries, heads of state, and members of European royal families that the city has seen in decades. It's a send-off and a salute on a grand scale.
12: This is Mark Phillips. Something seems to have happened to the new King Charles. He's been unable to get out of a car without heading directly to the waiting crowd as if he were a politician seeking votes and in a way even though kings aren't elected he is oh, charles iii
7: has been on a bit of a charm offensive we're definitely seeing a lightening of the monarchy a search for more approachability I think robert is Lacey is a royal historian i think the big change is in the attitude of the public and the willingness to forgive Charles. Faults that in the past were criticized. The new king's image has had a bumpy ride over the years,
12: never rougher than in the period around his doomed marriage to Princess Diana, when his reputation for being uncomfortable with the emotional side of life was evident from the
7: start. I'm amazed that she's uh, been brave enough to take me on. <laughs> and I suppose in love. Of course. <laughs> Whatever in love
0: means. <laughs> <so>. <laughs>
12: His rehabilitation after Diana's death, and particularly the normalizing of his relationship with his longtime partner Camilla, took planning, effort, and time. PR guru Paddy Harvison was brought in. I'm very proud of what everyone achieved there. Do you think he was unfairly treated at times? Yes. I mean, in fact, you know, they all are. They live under a level of scrutiny that is at times almost impossible to bear. Charles's marriage to Camilla... And the queen's declaration that she be made queen consort gave official endorsement to the new royal order. But there have been other issues for the new king to address. Who hasn't gotten annoyed at a leaky pen when it happens to the new king? It goes viral, and it reinforces an enduring image of a prince of privilege. The fountain pen incident, some people say, aha, scratch Charles, he still bleeds
7: petulance. <laughs> he's still the same guy, no matter how much glad-handing he's doing. In a sense, Prince Charles's evident faults can count to his advantage if he makes a clear effort that people acknowledge to overcome his imperfections, because that's one of the things that monarchs are supposed to do. We're not so naive as to believe they're better human beings than us. History clearly demonstrates the contrary. <laughs> King Charles's major tests are yet to come.
12: Whether to continue the outreach to Prince Harry and Meghan, whether to continue Prince Andrew's royal isolation, and perhaps the biggest test, whether he can soothe the nation the way his mother did.
2: As your queen and as a grandmother.
12: For I example, for when heart. Princess Diana died.
2: First, I want to pay tribute to Diana myself.
12: However Charles defines his reign, one thing won't change. The whole world will still be watching. Do the British sit in wonder at the interest that uh, America has in
7: this whole royal story? We Brits are not surprised that the whole world should be fascinated by history and pageantry, not to say the sheer scandal and personal soap opera character of the British monarchy, but we do sometimes wonder why the Yanks, the Americans who went to so much trouble to get rid of George III, should be so fascinated in the antics of his descendants.
2: It's a magazine that's right at home in homes across America, and it's turning 100. With Serena Altschul, we page through the history of better homes and gardens.
11: Here in the middle of the city of Des Moines, Iowa, a half-acre of green, where head gardener Sandra Gertis grows new plants of every description.
9: The peppers are now smaller, so you can put them in hanging baskets or larger containers and still have your edible garden.
11: It's the Better Homes and Gardens Test Garden, a vital part of the iconic magazine, now celebrating its 100th anniversary.
8: We're obviously in a sunny landscape here with lots of perennials and wildflowers. A little bit of a dry area here with yeah. some grasses. Lots what's, of hostas, They're What's beautiful. not to love with and, that? And you get so much color, you get all these patterns of all these Stephen
11: leaves. Orr these is leaves. editor-in-chief.
8: I think the reason this magazine remains its relevancy with the whole country is that it's in Des Moines, Iowa. It's in the middle of the country. And this magazine really is grounded in trying to cover and speak to all Americans.
11: Its DNA yes. is rooted deeply here. Deeply.
8: It really informs every aspect of what we're doing here.
2: Cauliflower.
11: Besides Stoops. the test garden, there are test kitchens.
2: And then we'll top that with our pinto bean patty.
11: Where every recipe is prepared.
2: So this is our Funfetti
6: Mandel bread. I'm a little worried about it. I think it's a little soft because of the amount of sprinkles we have inside. That's um, what makes it so fun though, It It is.
11: And tasted. Okay, it is like a biscotti. Yeah. It's a little mm-hmm. bit more butter.
4: So you
13: bake it the first time
4: for 25 minutes. I don't oh, know that, that I would really change really it.
11: And it's good. And we talk about was, was it so hard to measure? make? Does it taste good? Does it look good? Food very editor very good. Jan Miller started in the test kitchen 25 years ago.
9: This, this is gold. Yes, this this is, is treasure. This is treasure. Right? Oh my god!
11: In her office, a collection of Better Homes and Gardens cookbooks. We call it the plaid, the red plaid. Maybe that's just a term of endearment. A beloved staple in American homes for more than 90 years. So this was the very first book. It was called My Better Homes and Gardens Cookbook. It came out in 1930 to raise some much-needed cash during the Depression. The deal was it was a premium, and so if you sent in a dollar, you got the magazine subscription for two years, and then you got this book. So what a deal. The magazine was founded in 1922 by Edwin T. Meredith, a Des Moines entrepreneur and secretary of agriculture under Woodrow Wilson, as a companion to his successful farming magazine. He's a businessman at the end of the day, so he has an audience of male
8: farmers. He starts pulling in their wives.
11: It soon became a mainstay in American homes and the foundation of the Meredith Corporation's sprawling media empire.
8: This is the first cover in 1922.
11: Oh my god. A very long way from its humble beginnings as a little magazine called Fruit Garden and Home. It's an odd name, right? Yeah. It's and a when name. you look at the pages, there is a lot of fruit. Fruit. <laughs> yes. The name was changed in
8: 1924. The name Better Homes and Gardens came From a local neighborhood association here, it was their tagline.
11: It's a (laughs) catch-all. I mean, really,
8: what else is there? This is someone trying to figure out what to cook. A century-long domestic how-to guide. This person is looking at Better Homes and Gardens Hmm. gardening guide and trying
11: to to figure out what to do. With beautiful pictures. (laughs) Look Look at the the palette. Isn't it great? Beautiful colors. Tips on how to adapt to a changing
8: world. How do you decorate with the radio? You know, oh. 20 or 30 years later, how do you incorporate a television into
11: your living room? Right. Right? Which is still a problem for people. And a few celebrities tossed in.
8: You can see Charlton Heston in 1960 with a pepper grinder doing a toss salad. Celebrities have always popped in, but it's never been the focus.
11: In 2011, Michelle Obama made a splash on the cover. And just this past June, it was British pop idol Harry Styles.
8: And some of our readers are like, Harry Styles, what's going yeah. on? We'll them next month with like,
11: cake pops. <laughs> I kind of look into the way things are done here is kind of reaching people where they are, staying close to home, not politics. Right,
8: we're not going to tread in there because it's too divisive. We're the place people come to get away from, not just politics, but even the horrors of the pandemic.
11: Does gardening and cooking, does it kind of allow you to reach across the aisle? It's Absolutely. More of a-
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think it should be good.
11: This month, for its 100th birthday commemorative issue, four celebrity cakes with four different covers, each a favorite recipe from a celebrity chef. You've got Ina, Padma, Carla, and Jacques right. making cakes, right? exactly. Oh my gosh. Yes,
8: it's been fun. And when we styled the cakes, we styled them very theatrically, like on a stage set almost, and lit them like they're the star of it
11: with better paper and bigger pages thanks to their new media partner dot dash
8: what's been great about the dot dash acquisition is we were acquired by a pure digital company and that company was really interested in our brands and instead of buying us for our brands to like dismantle the brands, it's the opposite. <laughs> but this will be a big picture, and then we'll organize them some sort of setup. And
11: then Stephen Orr is looking forward.
8: With this story that's highly decorated, kind of social media Christmas.
11: As well as back on this 100th anniversary. Our readers recognize
8: that this brand, Better Homes and Gardens, on all platforms is a place of creativity and calm for them.
11: And that's where we'll leave you this morning, beside a babbling brook. In the Better Homes and Gardens Test Garden. Which might just be your next gardening project.
0: BP
6: added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Archaea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
11: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
2: You might call it a new take on a tried and true Hollywood formula. Jonathan Vigliotti tells us about the romantic comedy, bros. We are just going to be friends, okay?
5: Great, friends,
8: it's the
1: best thing.
5: We love romantic comedies.
8: It was a perfect blend of poetry and meanness.
1: Meanness, let me tell you something about meanness. Don't misunderstand
8: me, I'm just trying to pay you a compliment.
5: The chance meetings. What's your name, young man?
13: My name's Winston, Winston Shakespeare.
5: And, of course, the against-all-odds happy endings. So what happened after he climbed up the tower and rescued her?
9: She rescues him right back.
5: Comedian and
1: actor Billy Eichner loves rom-coms, but he has one complaint. They never made one about a gay couple. We weren't in those movies at all. We weren't even the best friend at that point. We just were nowhere to be found.
5: Eichner thinks it's time for
1: a change. Hey! Hey, what's up? I tried to kiss you and you didn't kiss me back is what's up. I'm sorry, I'm shy.
5: With director-co-writer Nicholas Stoller and producer Judd Apatow, no strangers to rom-coms themselves, I made a movie called Bros. Eichner has co-written and stars in what's being billed as the first gay romantic comedy ever released by a major film studio, and also the first to feature an all-LGBTQ principal cast. It's called Bros. I went to the screening with my husband, And halfway through, we had this moment where we looked at each other, recognizing that this was the first time we had seen ourselves represented two gay men, fronting a romantic comedy
1: on the big screen yeah and what's amazing is that our priority when we wrote the movie was to make a hilarious movie he told me he likes country music and his favorite singer is garth brooks what kind of gay man says his favorite singer is garth brooks that scares me the movie follows
5: eichner's character bobby as he stumbles towards a relationship with love interest aaron
1: played by luke mcfarlane great whatever whenever cool whatever whenever gif of michael scott dancing It's good office gif this person isn't gay
5: <laughs> you may recognize mcfarlane he's played the leading straight man on a bunch of hallmark movies why do you think it's taken this long for a movie like this two gay men in a romantic comedy
1: finally being on the big screen well the real answer to that is that the world including hollywood has been very homophobic And it's a complicated topic because, in some ways, Hollywood has often led the charge when it came to LGBTQ issues and representation. And yet, underneath it all, I think there was always a fear that the quote-unquote mainstream audience wasn't necessarily ready for this type of movie. And I think because of that, a lot of our stories weren't told. My mom died when I was in college. While and much of dad the dad film dad is, is fictional, a B, a B, a Rose B, allowed Eichner to get a B, a B, a personal. For me to be a, an effective writer, a good artist, I needed to be able to be honest. It's all about honesty. I was always too gay, or I was too niche, or, you know, I made people uncomfortable. And I'm telling you, enough people tell you things like that, no matter how confident you are when you're alone at night, you start to think that maybe they're right. I love
5: that monologue because I feel like it summed up the message and maybe your goal with the movie. You presented this relationship in all of its grittiness, Mm -hmm. not hiding behind
1: anything. That monologue on the beach was inspired by real experiences. For example, in 2006, this was five years before his breakthrough
5: comedy game show, Billy on the Street.
2: You're saying things that I would never have had the courage to say. You're you're damn right I am!
5: Eichner says his manager brought talent agents to see
1: one of his live comedy shows. And asked me if I could make the show less gay that month. There were all kinds of overt and less overt ways that people were telling me You're really talented, but we're not sure what to do with you. You know, it was all this kind of like coded language, like, you're too smart, someone once said. I was like, you can be too smart? I didn't know that was a thing.
7: I've been met with, you know, um, always being told that we're taking a chance, you know? We don't really know how the audience is gonna respond. We don't know how the studio is gonna respond. We've got Deborah Messing's agent on the Zoom. It's urgent. Deborah's worried that she's on the verge of being canceled. She said in an interview that she was the Viola Davis of Tufts and people are mad.
5: The actor known as Miss Lawrence is also an LGBTQ activist. What's it like to work on a production where everybody is free to be themselves, not just free, but
7: celebrated for that? It's very rewarding. It's exciting. This is probably the first time we have ever seen that, where you have people in front and behind the lens representing every letter of the lgbtq community
5: eichner underscored that when i visited the set last november of the people here how many are part of the lgbtq community
1: i think there might be a few people that have one or two lines that aren't but you know i didn't want to completely erase straight people from the narrative the way they've erased me for thousands of years because i'm trying to be bigger than that and billy eichner points out that bros while a comedy does parody
5: political issues.
1: We need new ideas for what goes in the final wing, and we need them now. Go. What if the final exhibit was a recreation of a queer wedding? I like that. That
5: I don't have. Here we are now, too, with the Supreme Court. There is concern that
1: gay marriage could be reversed. What do you say to those who want to take that right away? What do I say to people who want to take the right to get married away? That's fit for television. (laughs) Right. I would say that they are completely backwards. And Bros is an, one example of this culturally. But we are never, ever going backwards. We will be living our lives the way we want to live them, we're going to have equal protection under the law and keep fighting for it. We're going to do with our bodies whatever the hell we want to do with our bodies. And that we've existed since the beginning of time. As long as there has been human civilization, there has been LGBTQ people, and that is going to continue. Now do you want to blanket? be on my big blanket? Yeah. Yeah. I got be aggressive.
14: Oh, there you are. Yeah.
0: What's going oh, yeah. on? Oh, boy, oh, boy, yeah.
1: And the
5: latest chapter is now unfolding yeah, yeah, yeah. on the Silver Screen.
2: It happened this past week. Word of a death in our Sunday morning family. Longtime video editor David Small passed away in New York after a brief illness. You may not recognize his name, but you've likely seen any number of Sunday morning stories where David's craftsmanship was on full display. Before Sunday morning, he'd held a variety of positions at CBS News, including a long-time posting at 48 Hours. A lover of art, literature, and theater, David was meticulous, creative, and caring. He's survived by his son, Simon, and his granddaughter, Ariana, and will be missed by all of us. David Small was 68. From Steve Hartman, a story that proves it really does take a village.
14: This is not a national park. Signals work. This is a vehicle inspection site in Katy, Texas, where 22-year-old Jalen Gray started working after he quit college and his dream of becoming a park ranger. It's not
8: a really good feeling, giving up at all. But um, sometimes it's not quitting, it's just doing the right thing. Yeah, I had to do what I had to do, so.
5: Go, go, go!
8: Today,
14: Jalen's sole priority is his 12-year-old brother, Julian. He's my reason. All right, let's go. His reason and his responsibility. Their mother and only parent died two years ago.
8: I just miss her so much. From that day on, I swore, you know, at all costs,
1: I'm protecting them.
14: And then things got worse.
1: Yeah, I was basically defeated. I had nowhere to go. Life went from
14: bad to unbearable after that big freeze hit Texas last year. The pipes burst in their house, the one their mother left them, and ruined everything. So
8: strange times.
14: Then a contractor Jalen hired to fix it took their life savings and ran off. Tragic, isn't it? The boys were pretty much homeless, living with their last surviving close relative when a nonprofit called Katie Responds caught wind. The group fixes up houses after natural disasters. Over the years, they've helped more than a hundred families, but few more worthy than those boys.
8: Yeah, it breaks your heart. Had to help? Had to.
14: Executive Director Ron Peters.
8: They had no idea people would want to jump in and help them
14: which may explain their jaw-dropping, literally speechless reactions. I was overwhelmed. Thanks to an army of donors and volunteers, the brothers are finally and forever back in their mother's house. Fully renovated, better than ever. And although no builder could ever patch the hole in their hearts, Katie Responds did the next best thing.
12: There's
7: just so many nice people in this room right now, and it makes me so happy.
14: When their mother died, Julian and Jalen thought all they had was each other, but they were off by one whole community.
1: The world is waiting for you. Good luck.
3: It's Sunday morning on CBS. And here again is Jane Pauley. Go!
2: This week here on CBS, The Amazing Race hits the starting blocks for its 34th season, this time from Munich, Germany. Our Tracy Smith was invited to suit up and put her own amazing skills to the test.
0: Oh, my God! Oh my God, oh my
6: God. Okay, would you jump off a 700-foot dam for a chance at a million dollars?
0: Am I connected?
6: Yes, it's terrifying, but it's just another day on The Amazing Race. In the past 21 years, the CBS reality show has taken more than 600 intrepid souls on a race around the world, two by two. It's a global odyssey that test the limits of their endurance.
0: I can't do it. I can't do it. Wait, they jump at you.
6: The bounds of their dignity.
0: See, I can't make them go over there. I don't want
9: another word coming out of your mouth. Oh my god, I hate you.
6: And the strength of their relationships. And as with just about any game show, you can't help but wonder what you'd do if you were in their shoes. It was in that spirit that I went along last May for the start of season 34. This is the way to travel. Before the pandemic, the teams flew commercial airlines, but for safety's sake, they now use this chartered 757.
1: I mean, we've just never done it before.
6: Phil Kogan's been the host for all 34 seasons. This is a
1: nice change up and maybe after two decades of doing the show, (laughs) we'll take it. Yeah.
6: (laughs) We knew we were bound for Munich, but none of the contestants aboard had a clue. I just think it's wild that we're looking at them. They have no idea. No idea where they're they're going. I
1: mean, can you think of anybody who gets on a plane and literally has no idea where they're going? Can you
6: imagine? But they could sense that things were about to get kind of hectic.
1: I would like to officially welcome you to the start of your amazing race here in Munich, Germany.
6: The man in the red ball cap is executive producer Bertram von Munster. He's directed just about every minute of every leg of every race since it began in 2001. Von Munster is especially close to this lady, co-executive producer Elise Doganieri. You might know that they're married and have traveled the world together in the name of great TV. You might not know that she's the one who thought this whole thing up. So let's go back to the beginning. This was originally your idea?
9: Yeah, The Amazing Race originally was my idea. And um, it came out of a backpacking trip that I took with my roommate in college. And, you know, when I instantly had this idea for the show, I thought if we put people who know each other together, there's definitely gonna be drama.
6: How, how could you do that? How, how could you do that? John, that's it! <laughs> And what's happened since is TV history. She should have left it. We should have gone. We would have been here.
1: Jonathan, I think you probably should go and talk to Victoria.
6: The Amazing Race has become a perennial favorite on this network's schedule. And the Emmy goes to... The Amazing Race. The winner of 10 Emmys for Best Competition Show more than any other.
5: Well, I really didn't expect this.
6: In 21 years of production... The race has been to nearly 100 countries, logging well over a million miles, and counting.
9: Did you envision this? No. I mean, the first season we filmed the show, I was working in advertising. I took a leave of absence. I said to Bertram, should I quit my job? We sold the show. He said, no, no, no. Don't quit your job. It's television. You never know if it's going to get renewed or canceled. And then the show got picked up. And I said, Bert, what do you think? And he goes, you should quit your job. And so we took a risk. But now, 34 seasons in,
6: Von Munster says, it all still makes him as nervous as ever. So last night, did you sleep? No.
4: No, No. I slept maybe three hours.
6: Because you're thinking? I was thinking. (laughs) What's coming next?
4: Even after all these years.
6: It's a lot of details. It's
4: a lot of details, but I love it. As they say, the devil is in the details
6: and there are a lot of details. For the Munich leg alone, the racers had to complete not one, but three tasks, all inspired by Oktoberfest.
1: Roll a beer keg through an obstacle course in under one minute, soar through a log, and smash an enormous block of ice. Once complete, they'll have the three parts of a clue they need to find me at the pit stop not completed the course, and need a lot of time, you must go to the back of the line.
6: Turns out the Amazing Race producers do a test run the day before, rain or shine, to make sure a task is safe and actually doable. In fact, the producers often make adjustments before the race begins, but once it starts, there are no do-overs ever
4: there's no stopping it's always go 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 we don't interfere we don't do second takes never do second no takes. no second takes no second takes absolutely not because we're doing it it's a game show
6: yes yeah, a game show but some of the locations are truly well amazing and you never know when a priceless moment is gonna happen
1: isn't this crazy right now this is
8: like
6: I bells love this. all around It her. is beautiful look at this over here it's incredible
1: The best bell ringers in all of Munich, here just for you. Cacophony of Munich bell ringing.
6: It was a rare minute of calm. But the next morning, Inside the envelope are three addresses for the three challenges that you need to complete. It was time to do what they came for. Before the start, the camera crews stretch like distance runners, getting ready for the mad dash to come, and then finally, Bill Kogan says the words that every contestant is straining to hear.
1: The world is waiting for you. Good luck. Travel safe. Go! <laughs>
6: of course, we can't tell you which team finished first in episode one. You can find out later this week we can tell you that the race started as planned and that it was as wild as ever. 34 seasons in, the show has not been eliminated. Why
9: why do you think the show survived? Our backdrop of the world is forever changing. We're never gonna run out of locations to film in and it's super entertaining, it's humorous. We're kind of laughing at ourselves but also traveling the world and getting to see places that you may never get to see, you know, in your lifetime.
0: I see it.
6: For the contestants, wow! Even the pretend ones, Uh, it's a chance to learn a little bit about the world. You're you're not on the race, and I'm not sure whether you know that. And themselves in ways they never thought possible. Go! And for the creators of the show,
9: you get the sense it's all still pretty amazing
6: for them too.
9: We thought maybe we'd get two seasons. Maybe it would be one season. Never in a million years did I think that we'd be still doing this. Our
2: commentary comes from journalist Rachel Aviv. Her new book, Strangers to Ourselves, focuses on the challenges faced by those struggling with mental illness.
13: When I talk to people with mental illness, I'm often struck by how hard it is for them to communicate what it feels like. Once a young woman told me that trying to describe her symptoms was like trying to explain what a bark sounds like to someone who's never heard of a dog. Another person, who had just been diagnosed with schizophrenia, told me she studied her diagnosis in the DSM, the Manual for Mental Disorders. Her experience of illness felt so hard to pin down that she worried she was inadvertently adjusting her own behavior to fit the way it had been classified. For some people, getting a diagnosis and being told that they have a brain-based disorder can feel healing and liberating but we may overlook the role of these explanations in our lives. They can shape our identities and our expectations for the future. Like the people I've written about, I've also gone through a period of illness that felt nearly impossible to classify. When I was six, I stopped eating for three days, and my pediatrician put me in a hospital that treated patients with anorexia who were more than a decade older than me. I became especially close with one of them, whom I saw as a kind of mentor. As an adult, I learned about the path that her life had taken after we were hospitalized. And I was shaken first to discover how similar our stories were at the time. And second, to realize how our lives had veered in such different directions. Our outcomes seemed tenuous and perhaps arbitrary. I felt as if she could have lived my life or I could have lived hers. Psychiatrists have a limited understanding of why one person's illness becomes a kind of life sentence and another person with the same diagnosis moves on. Answering this question, I think, requires that we pay more attention to the individual stories through which people find meaning for themselves. There are stories that save us and stories that trap us, and in the midst of an illness, it can be very hard to know which is which.
2: Thank you for listening. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning.
10: Hey, Prime members,
14: you can listen to CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey.
9: Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.